This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene, was good? But be careful. Because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to How Stuff Works Now. I'm your host, Lauren Vogelbaum, a researcher and writer here at How Stuff Works. Every week, I'm bringing you three stories from our team about the weird and wondrous advances we've seen in science, technology, and culture. This week, it's not your imagination. There's way less personal space for airplane passengers these days. And, unrelated, future residents of the moon may live in tunnels carved out millions of years ago by lunar lava. But first... Senior editor Catherine Whitborn and freelance writer Melanie Redziki McManus explore a new study into how the ways that we play games with children can impact their development. It seems that absolutely destroying a kid at Uno could actually be a good thing. You ever played a game with a kid and helped her out so she didn't lose to you? She wins, she's happy, so you're happy too. But is that a good strategy for her development long term? Well, a new study from Amherst College and the University of Virginia, published in the Journal of Experimental Child Psychology, says that intentionally throwing a game or a challenge may result in kids who can't make good decisions or read important cues. In the study, researchers played a game with children aged 4 and 5 where they had to find hidden objects. Two adults gave the kids clues to the location of the objects. One adult gave accurate clues, while the other gave false ones. Then the researchers set up the game so that half the kids always found the hidden object, no matter what the adults said. The remaining children played a game left to chance, where they were more likely to find the hidden object if they listened carefully and figured out which adults gave useful clues. Then the researchers asked the kids which of the two adults they'd select to help them find more hidden objects. As you might expect, the kids in the unrigged game preferred the adult who gave accurate tips, but those in the rigged version had no preference. They didn't realize only one adult gave them helpful information. That means if you always let kids beat you at Old Maid, for example, they might not learn how to consider the number of cards in their hands or what's in the draw pile. Letting kids win all the time could make them unable to spot important information relevant to future success. There have been a lot of jokes about today's trophy culture where all the kids on a sports team get a trophy just for playing. 
Psychotherapist Nikki Nance, who was not involved in the study we mentioned, says that participation trophies can hurt children in the long run. She said these kids can feel angry and betrayed later on when partners, teachers, and employers don't find their mere presence awesome. Other experts say that encouraging self-esteem through participation trophies isn't necessarily harmful, but it's important for children to learn how to distinguish true accomplishments from just showing up. Nance says the key is to praise kids when they do something impressive, like strategize or creatively approach difficult tasks. And that can only happen when we allow our children to fail. Next up, staff editor Christopher Hasiotis and our freelance writer Patrick J. Kiger bring us a story about the potential future of the moon. New research indicates that it may be cheaper and easier for us to set up moon colonies than we ever thought possible. An internationally cooperating team of engineers and scientists here on Earth have been devising plans for a manned base on the moon for a while now. A tentative construction date? Sometime around the year 2050. And though it may sound like the hidden lair of a supervillain, it's no fantasy. But if colonists are going to live lunar for extended periods, the best place for them to do so is underground. That's because the moon's extremely minimal atmosphere provides almost no protection from meteorites and exposure to harmful space radiation. The major drawback of setting up shop in the lunar underground, of course, has been that it would require sending a lot of expensive machinery to the moon to dig man-made caverns for lunar pioneers to live in. But things may be looking up, and that's by looking within. Within the moon, that is, thanks to new data gathered by satellites orbiting the moon. There's a chance we could colonize the moon without too much digging thanks to ready-made underground cavities called lava tubes inside the moon, spaces carved by underground rivers of molten lava from ancient lunar volcanoes. Yes, the moon was once home to volcanic activity, but when the lava ran dry, the routes through which it flowed formed cylindrical channels. We see the same process happening here on Earth in places like Hawaii, New Zealand, and Iceland. But most of the Earth's lava-carved tunnels usually measure less than 100 feet, or about 31 meters across at the maximum. Not so up on the moon, where satellite observations of lunar gravity suggest that the lava tubes inside the moon are much, much larger in scale. In a study that appears in the online journal Icarus, in fact, a team of Purdue University scientists conclude that lunar lava tubes could be as wide as 3.1 miles, or 5 kilometers, and that these sublunar tunnels could remain structurally sound as we set up shop on our rocky satellite. NASA scientists already have scoped out one lunar lava tube called the Marius Hills Pit as a potential location for an outpost. Give us a few decades, and the man in the moon could be getting some new neighbors. Finally this week, I've got another high-flying piece for you from Patrick. Researchers and policymakers alike are drawing attention to the amount of personal space, or rather the lack thereof, that airline passengers deal with these days, and the negative effects that that might be having. If you're feeling increasingly cramped on airline flights these days, you're not necessarily developing a case of claustrophobia. In recent years, airlines have been redesigning cabin space and seats alike in order to jam more and more passengers into planes and maintain profitability. And that means less room for your knees, as you've probably realized, but it also means less room for your upper body and head, especially when someone reclines the seat in front of you. According to the Massachusetts Institute of Technology's Airline Data Project, U.S. airlines have increased the average seat count in their single-aisle aircraft from 130 seats in 1995 to 142 today. 
In order to fit all those seats into the plane and still preserve some leg room and knee room, airlines have gone to using thinner, skinny seats. But something has to give. Seat pitch, the distance between a point on an airline seat and the same spot on the seat in front of it, has decreased significantly from about 35 inches, that's 89 centimeters, back in the 1970s, to an average of about 31 inches or 79 centimeters today, according to New York Senator Charles Schumer, who has sought to stop airlines from shrinking passenger space even further. That means that when the person in front of you tilts the seat back, it's going to be several inches closer to your nose if you're sitting upright. Stella Lorenko, a psychology professor at Emory University who studies how people perceive and deal with personal space, told the Wall Street Journal that the shrinking amount of headroom on planes could have a significant psychological effect on passengers. Another psychologist, Martin Seif of the Anxiety and Phobia Treatment Center for White Plains Hospital in New York, told the journal that high-density seating could raise the risk of passengers losing their tempers and could even cause air rage incidents. Unfortunately, the trend of putting more seats into airliners and reducing the amount of passenger space seems to be continuing. And don't expect federal regulators to step in. In April of 2016, the U.S. Senate rejected an amendment to a spending bill by Schumer, which would have required the Federal Aviation Administration to set a minimum seat size and distance between seat rows on airplanes. I guess it's time to get to know your neighbors even more intimately. That's our show for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Further thanks to our audio producer Dylan Fagan and to Noel Brown for giving him a hand this week. Plus our editorial liaison Allison Loudermilk. Subscribe to Now Now for more of the latest science news and send us links to anything you'd like to hear us cover. Plus, let me know what Harry Potter universe house you got sorted into. Personal curiosity. I am a proud Hufflepuff. You can send us an email at nowpodcast at howstuffworks.com. And of course, for lots more stories like these, head on over to our home planet. Now that HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport, and I'm Kibi Rappaport, and together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport, and me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene, Gene Fodor. Gene was good. But be careful. Because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as that '70s show and that '90s show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, "Watch how far I can kick this bucket." People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.